Bienvenidos to the final episode of season two of the Speech Uncensored podcast. What an amazing year 2019 has been. Thank you so much for joining me and growing with me this year. I've had an incredible time diving into all the nooks and crannies of the speech and language pathology field. And I am amped up to kick off season three at the start of 2020. Okay, now on to today's guest. Joining me in the digital studio is the wildly enthusiastic Julie Fector. Julie is super passionate about working with individuals with Parkinson's disease and absolutely insisted that she must come on this podcast and tell everyone about it. Obviously, I agree with her error-proof logic, and that's the genesis of today's episode. So buckle up, everyone, and meet Julie. Hi, Julie. How's it going? I'm wonderful. How are you? Oh, I'm just delighted. I'm so excited to meet you in real life and to see this larger-than-life presence now on the airwaves. Woo! Am I larger than life? (laughs) Your personality, Julie. Do not read into subtext your personality. Oh, no, I got that. I got that. I got that. I just, maybe it's the, all the caps I use. <laughs> um, so what have you been up to? What's keeping you busy these days? <sighs> well, I started my own private practice this year, which takes up, you know, 99% of your time. And the unfortunate part of that is the other 1% you're at work. So, you know, to make enough money to actually, you know, be successful at a private practice. So I, and then you don't have any money for anything fun. So I um, come home from work and I think about the millions of things I should be doing. And then I go on the internet and do nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sounds like I'm looking at a mirror. That's so true. It's like, oh. The to-do list just keeps stacking higher. And I'm like, hmm, what's happening on Facebook right now? Let's just do that instead. (laughs) Right? Well, and it's just, I don't know. But yeah, so uh, that's life. (laughs) All right. Should I talk about my background? Is that what we're going for right now too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, So I actually don't know how much you know about me personally. I don't know. I don't know what, where people get... I don't know, but uh, I worked in SNFs for a really long time. I, um, and every time a person with Parkinson's came in, I would go, oh, hey, let's, let's do this. And so I've worked with so many people with Parkinson's because I would screen every single patient who came in and go, huh, it seems like their speech and swallowing has been exacerbated a little bit by their current illness. And so I would pick up pretty much every single one. Um, And I mean, we can go into that later too, about why I would do that. And so I worked in SNFs for six and a half-ish years. And then I quit all of my jobs. I had like eight at the time. Um, Eight what? I'm sorry. Roll, stop, take. What? Um, How do you? I, um, 2016, I worked seven days a week. 10 to 12 hour days, except for a couple of vacations, because that's who I am. 
And I was doing it so I could save up. Um, I wanted to save up forty-five dollars to $60,000. And I did not make that amount, but I couldn't live anymore like that. So I quit everything and I ran away from home for a year and a half. And I traveled the world. Uh, and then I came back last year and I started a job. And uh, we won't go into why I ended up quitting, but I did. <laughs> and then I started another job and that was even worse. And then I went and got Botox. Yes, this is a part of my like coming of like age story. <laughs> I went and got Botox and I was talking to uh, the plastic surgeon. Well, she, yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure. I don't remember, but she was telling me, oh, well, you know, there's this really amazing um, otolaryngologist at UW and she gave me his email. It's Dr. Al Moradi. He is um, very well known in the Seattle area. He's a laryngologist. And she just inspired me to start looking into doing my Parkinson's stuff. Cause I've always said I wanted to work only with Parkinson's. And so then I contacted a, this thing in Seattle called the Parkinson's fitness project and said, Hey, um, do you want speech? <laughs> and, um, we met and we decided to do some videos for his website. It's, uh, exercises for people with Parkinson's only. And he's like, oh, I'll get back to you after the holidays. And I was like, well, I'm never going to hear from this dude again. <laughs> right. And um, like January 2nd this year, he sent me an email and I'm sitting there going, it's happening, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I did the videos for him and I was like, so do you want to hire me? And when I went to film the videos, he was like, oh, so I went, Okay. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to start it. And so I started my private practice in January and it's been the hardest, you know, eight years of my life, eight years. <laughs> it feels like eight years and, um, like crying, screaming over Medicare stuff. It's not for the faint hearted. And I just got my first patient. I know you're like, wow, seven months later, huh? Um, I got my first patient last month or this month. I don't remember, but I've met her through untraditional means anyway. And we're not even doing a Parkinson specific thing, but still. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> that was like 20 minutes. <laughs> that's cool though. That's cool though. I love the way you tell a story. I'm entranced. Like, that bodes well for the rest of our episode. I'm going to be highly entertained for the next 40 minutes. So I'm down with that. Good. I'm here for that. And I'm here to help people treat people with Parkinson's better. Not that I think that, you know, everyone doesn't treat them as best as they can. But I mean, there's just so much information. I was talking to um, Meredith Poor Heralds the other day, and she was telling me 100 to 200 articles in our field come out every month every month. How can you keep up on that? So yeah, no, it's impossible. Yeah. So anyway, that is that. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Julie, I want to know why you are so passionate about spreading the word about best practices um, for treating folks who are experiencing Parkinson's disease. Well, that is the earlier, the better to maintain function. 
I mean, by the time people are diagnosed, they've already experienced neuronal death. And so the earlier we can get in, the better instead of, you know, five, 10 years down the road, gee, I'm, I'm kind of quiet, you know? And part of that to me is also the patients themselves don't know. And that's because, you know, neurologists are busy. They have medication, which is so important for people with Parkinson's. They're, I mean, I think about speech and swallowing, you know, every second of the day, but that's because that's what I do for a living. So, you know, it's the earlier, the better. And also, I just think people with these diseases deserve, well, any diseases, obviously, but people with these diseases we know that are going to get worse deserve to be treated with the best practices the best way we can. Because if we don't get them, it's going to get worse. Someone who has a different disorder, you know, they might not get better. They might not, you know, they might stay the same, but these people, they're going to get worse. And we know that. So I... That's why I'm so passionate. <laughs> and how do you approach your sessions when you're working with Parkinson's? Like what kind of energy level are you bringing to those sessions for your patients? Well, I'm sure you can tell I'm at like a 90% of energy level at all times. But with these people, <laughs> I am like 150%. And sometimes you kind of see them whoo, take like a, <laughs> like a step back, like, oh, wow, this this, this woman is serious. And, but it's also for those people that, I mean, they have those masked faces where they have no facial expression um, and their voices are so quiet. They need someone a little larger than life. I like to think uh, to help them get up to that level because sorry, I'm kind of skipping around in my mind right now um, because of that sensory aspect where they don't really feel that they have a problem. They can't really tell. So they need someone to kind of teach them a little bit that they are a little lower in that volume, a little smaller with that face um, to get back up. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you would like, you would encourage other SLPs to um, bring that high energy level with them into sessions too. That way they could, I don't know, maybe absorb some of that energy and then reflect it back perhaps. Is that maybe, or am I just kind of like totally taking this in a different direction? No, that's definitely how I feel. It's, I mean, if you go through some of the training at least uh, I know, I believe speak out demonstrates that in the videos where they show you, you should be moving your hands really big. I mean, LSVT big and loud, right? And it's all about those big movements. So for my personality, it's, it's perfect because that's who I am as a human being. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Um, all right. Well, let's talk numbers. What can you tell me about statistics? Well, I have two pretty scary statistics. Well, I, I mean, technically I have three pretty scary statistics. One is uh, it's up to 90% of people with Parkinson's will have some form of dysarthria. 90%, nine out of 10. That's a lot, right? And then uh, 80% will have dysphagia. And here's the scariest statistic of them all. One in three people with Parkinson's will die of aspiration pneumonia. Um, it's the number one cause of death. 
for people with Parkinson. Um, and where are you sourcing all these statistics from? Oh, I definitely sent you, I think like 20 links. And I mean, to be honest, it was a little overkill. I just got really excited. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, oh, you want research, huh? I'll show you research. Um, <laughs> yeah, you will. Learn <laughs> research. Uh, and I, I couldn't even tell you which one it was, but I think one of them was even from um, Dr. Langmore, if I'm not wrong. And then I think there's some from the people who do LSVT. Um, well, and one of, I mean, we could talk about other research too, but some of the other research, one of the big Parkinson's researchers for like ES, EMST is Dr. Sapienza. And then I'm not sure how to say, she's the one who created EMST 150 and then Dr. Troche, Troche, uh, I'm not sure how to say it, but I believe Dr. Troche, Troche, um, studied under Sapiens, uh, I think, but she's up at like Columbia now, I think. And she does a lot of the research, but, and she's doing some really cool things that I want to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. And yeah, so yeah, you sent me over an amazing list of research and evidence. And so I'll have that up in our show notes on speechuncensored.com so that folks can dive into that and see those sources too. Um, Okay, so do you have anything else for those um, statistics or you want to go to your next topic about the dental model? Let's go to the next topic because I love this one. Um, I was watching the Parkinson's Fitness Guy Instagram story one day and he was at a thing all about Parkinson's and up popped a PT uh, who does a lot of research somewhere in the United States. Um, and I saw it up there. It was about the dental model. I was like, this is what I'm talking about, you know? And what I mean by dental model is it's preventative. So we don't only go to the dentist when we have issues, right? I mean, I could go to the dentist every day and have them clean my teeth because I love the dentist. Um, but we go there. Yeah, right? It's like I, it's like getting a report card. They're like, Julie, what great teeth you have. A plus. Way to go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It's like one of my favorite days. I'm like, can I do, like, I've considered doing it three times a year, but I digress. <laughs> but yeah, so, and then people with Parkinson's, I know the Parkinson um, Voice Project in Texas, they recommend every three to six months people come in. And it's not like you have to do a full month of treatment every three months because that would be ridiculous, right? <laughs> Excuse me. You would just have them come in, maybe do a couple sessions until they get, to an appropriate volume, kind of recalibrate them again. So what are they doing in those appointments? Cleaning teeth? Oh, what? No, I mean, um, like dental model, meaning speech therapy every three to six months. Okay. Cause I was like way in left field. We're talking about the dentist and now we're talking about speech therapy every three to six months. Dental model. <laughs> Julie. <laughs> Reel me in. Where am I going? I do think people with Parkinson's should go to the dentist quite a lot. I mentioned that to a lot of people because, I mean, that's just another thing. But no, I mean a couple speech sections at sections sessions every couple months, um, three to six months, obviously, where they would come on in. I'm imagining a world where, well, I mean, this is for me in my own private practice, where my patients might give me a call after three months and just be like, hey, Julie, how's it going? 
and we chat a little bit and I'm like, you know, maybe it is time for you to come in, you know, and have that personal relationship with them. Like I just got invited to like an art gallery opening from my one patient (laughs) and I I can't go, but it's just, that's the kind of relationship I want to have with these people where you know them very well. You're involved, not in their lives as much because of HIPAA, but you know them and you support them in everything. And that's just what I'm imagining when they call in, you go, eh, let's bring you in a little bit, or maybe their um, significant other or friends or family tell them, Hey, you know, you, you kind of drop down a little bit. Like I was talking to someone about coming in and working with me and um, they were like, Oh, well they've been through the program three times. And I'm like, so that's okay. Let's do it again. Maybe it won't take a whole month. Right. Let's, let's see what we, we need. And especially if you were like a really robust opera singer, like some people I've heard and you lose that. That's sad. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Now I'm on board. Yeah, okay. I heard dental model and I'm like, Ooh, are we going to be talking about oral care? Is there something about like people with Parkinson's that I don't know about in their mouth? Like, do I need to start looking in their mouths too? Okay. I'm on board with it. Let's do this thing. No, I got it. I got it now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could talk about the drooling and saliva and how they don't produce as much. Yeah, I mean, that might be later. I don't remember if I put that in. <laughs> Thanks for reeling me in, Julie. I got I got distracted, apparently. <laughs> All right. Well, when should you start working with a patient? You know, I spoke at a support group last week. And I said to them, you know, I just imagine this perfect world where you get diagnosed and your doctor gives you um, referrals to PT and speed. Sorry, OT, I do believe you're wonderful. Um, But they give you a referral to PT and speech like that. And this woman raised her hand and she was like, you know, I think that would be too overwhelming. And I went, oh, and and I mean, I've had this from people with Parkinson's before where they say, how can I fit it all in? And I get that. So I, I just kind of think, cause I mean, there's not research that says you should be starting right here, you know? So it's, I just think if it's too overwhelming initially, maybe six to 12 months after diagnosis, they could get a nice little referral to speech, come in. I mean, you don't even have to do tons of treatment. You could, you know, maybe get them an EMST device and get them started on that kind of thing. Maybe they just need some shaping of their voice to do a couple exercises that they could do. Cause I was speaking at a different support group a couple weeks ago and every single one of them goes, Oh yeah, I work out daily. And I'm like, heck yeah, good job. And I'm like, does anyone work out their voice daily? Not a single one. And, you know, and I do a little motivational interviewing, which I'm not great at. I'd love to be better at just being like, how important is your communication to you? Every single person, 10 out of 10. How important is eating to you? 10 out of 10. Yet they're not getting, you know, those referrals to speech because they don't even, they don't know. Like I met this man and he was undiagnosed Parkinson's. Sorry, I have so many stories. And, um, and I love telling stories. Uh, and 
I spoke to his family. His whole family was there, right? And he obviously undiagnosed Parkinson's or I would eat my jacket I'm currently wearing. And he was just like, oh yeah, you know, my, my sister talked like this. And the family's all like, yeah, his sister totally talked like this. And I was like, oh, you know that sister with Parkinson's? <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> and they were just like, oh, I think it's just a family trait. And I was like, <sighs> you know, <laughs> but got, got him to a neurologist. Uh, so it's not, but it was just one of those things where you're like, Hmm. I know you were, viewers can't see me, but I'm currently doing like a thinker pose. Hmm. <laughs> and it's very accurate. It's the hand, the chin, everything. <laughs> All right. I'm looking at what's going next. <laughs> so yeah. Talk about the progression. Like when I mean, I think that's a perfect story to segue into your next area. Um, you know, what was that person presenting with? How could you tell this person had undiagnosed Parkinson's? You know, what are what are going to be some key features that you pick up on? Oh, it's definitely that masked faces. I think that is one of the biggest ones um, for me because you can tell because I'm sitting here in front of you and you see how many facial expressions I make. I probably make seven every three seconds. Uh, I very expressionated. That's a word. Um, and so I think the math faces, but like I can also tell someone, tell that someone has Parkinson's from five miles away because you know, that hunch and that's not even speech related, but they have that hunch kind of. Um, and also those fascinating steps. But speech-wise, it's generally that hypokinetic dysarthria where where they just have that mono pitch, mono loudness. They might get really fast and short rushes of speech because they're running out of air. Um, they might freeze and not be able to talk. And I mean, it gets worse. That's a big one because some that gentleman, um, there was a stroke in the background. He had dysarthria from a stroke. And so that's why it took a little longer because, oh, it's just the stroke. But then if it gets worse, is it just a stroke? Um, but also, yeah, very quiet, excuse me. Um, and obviously the slurred speech. Um, but some people might have mixed dysarthria, which is a little more complicated because you have to make sure you don't work too much on certain things because then people can actually get muscle tension dysphonia, which I think is really interesting and sucks um, because they're trying to raise their volume. They're trying to improve their voice on their own. And then they just get super, super, super tight. Oh, I see that across the geriatric population when they want to increase their volume, they just put on so much strain and pressure in their throat, around their vocal folds, that they're squeezing their voice out. They're not amplifying anything. <laughs> it, and mm -hmm. it hurts me to hear it. And so I'll get those patients and I've got to like tell mm -hmm. them like, you need to do less. You need to be using that breath support. It is so fascinating mm -hmm. to me how much people will trap that air and hold that breath in and think that they're using it. But I'm like, well, I'm listening to you. That is not the case. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, Parkinson's also has those bowed vocal cords, just like a lot of 
geriatric people can have. So that's part of it. Why? Because, you know, they can't get that breath support, right? Which sucks. I mean, it all sucks. So why do we need to teach people that they need help? Like, do we have to tell them that they need us? What's our What's our role in that? Do we just need to sit back and let them come to us when they're ready? Do we need to rely on um, a doctor to intervene and a doctor to say, like, you, you are appropriate for speech therapy at this time? I would say no, but unfortunately, that's how they get those referrals, right, is from the doctors. So it's because of that sensory disorder. They can't tell that they're getting quiet. There's so many people who's who just say, oh, my spouse's hearing is bad. And I've heard that so many times. And you're just like, is it though? I mean, to be honest, it's probably both. Let's just, <laughs> let's just be honest. Yeah. Um, they can't tell that they're being quiet. And then when they try to raise their voice, because I mean, obviously some people can tell that they're quiet because then they try to raise that volume, but other people can't. And um, gosh, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh yeah. And then when they do have to increase that volume, they feel like they're yelling constantly. So one thing I always tell them, I, I use my hands because I use my hands a lot is I'm always like, well, when you and I are talking, I'm up here. My normal voice is up here and your normal voice is a little down here. I'm like, when I get really loud, I'm like, I go all the way up here. When you get loud, you get to my normal volume. And so we have to calibrate them in treatment so that they learn what's going on and how loud they need to be. And I mean, now we're just getting into treatment. Oh, well, also that other part about I've also heard people say speech and swallowing is the last thing you should be worried about right now. And well, I know it hurts my feelings. <laughs> it hurts my <laughs> Like communication is so important because, well, I went to a Parkinson symposium last, a research symposium last year or this year, this year. And they said the answer to this question will determine whether or not your Parkinson's will progress. And this is just what they said. So if it's not research backed, meh, this is just what they said at a research symposium. So the question was, are you lonely? And if you said yes, that can help. It'll determine whether or not it's going to progress quickly. I don't think I phrased that correctly. But if these people can't communicate, what are they going to do? They're going to withdraw and they're going to be lonely. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and what about the social aspect of eating, going out to eat? I've also noticed another trend with my senior citizen group that they most of the meals they eat are out in restaurants or in social engagements. They go to friends house. And so then if they're having trouble eating and drinking, boom, that's a huge impact on their social engagement. You are so correct. I mean, even just going to a senior center where there are going to be other older folks who might have trouble swallowing, they're going to still feel self-conscious if they're coughing all the time or if they're having trouble chewing, if food is coming out of their mouth. That's not super common, but meh. Um, if they're freezing, if they're, you know, all of the things that happen when you're when you're having trouble swallowing. I mean, can be embarrassing. I mean, I try to teach people, not teach, but I try to encourage people that 
who gives a crap what people think, you know, but that's not always going to work because we all get self-conscious sometimes. And if you're having these pretty severe issues, you're, you're going to be a little self-conscious, let's be honest. Or, I mean, and then we go into that whole OT thing. If they're having trouble feeding themselves, I mean, blah, blah, blah. There's, I mean, there's so much. Um, I wanted to backtrack a little bit. We had this really nice little segue into how, you know, important eating is. Um, but when you're working on getting that, like, information across to your patient about how their volume isn't matching what they think they're doing, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I'm speaking at a normal rate. You're like, actually, this is more like a confidential voice just above a whisper, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what kind of tools do you provide your patients with to give them some visual feedback or, you know, one of our fancy terms, some biofeedback? Oh, this is my favorite one. And I use this. I mean, you when you do the official Parkinson's programs, you're supposed to have the numbers, right? And you're supposed to be tracking that. But I find that some of those patients, that's not motivating for them. You know, they can't see it. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm literally, you can see me. I'm doing fist pumping. I am the craziest person when it comes to this because I'm there for my patients. But one of my favorite things is the blah, blah, blah app. And I don't think it's available on Android. Uh, It might only be iPhone, which meh, but it's just a visual And you can have, there's like, what, like 10 different people. My favorite one is Frankenstein. Well, excuse me, Frankenstein's monster. Let's, (laughs) if anyone's going to be pretentious and correct me. (laughs) Pretentious and correct myself. Um, And it shows actually the mouth. Have you used blah, blah, blah? I have, yeah. yeah. I like it a lot. It is really fun. Right? And the face gets bigger and the mouth gets bigger with Frankenstein's monster. Sorry, I will say that. And I think it's really fun. And the patients, I had a woman and she didn't have Parkinson's, but we were working on volume. She was like, I'm going to do this with my grandkids now because they'll think it's so fun. And that's what we need. We need that carryover. We need that um, enthusiasm. We need that desire to get better or just a reason to practice, right? Yeah, that that buy-in is everything. If you don't get that buy-in, I mean, everyone there is wasting their time, honestly. (laughs) Because you're just going to go in circles. There's not going to be any real measurable progress going forward. And so, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, um, have you ever used like a sound meter app you know, just something that measures decibels and then it's got visuals. Like it'll have a graph or mm-hmm. like something colorful. Do you yeah, like those? I do. Um, you know, I like them enough. They do what they're going to do. But I think I try to make my therapy fun. Um, and I don't even care if people are going to say that's stupid because I my patients love me because I make it a fun 40 minutes when we're doing a session. I crack jokes. I do weird things. I like to use the fun, silly apps. Um, I do, I did a voice group every week for that Parkinson's website. And one of the men, he just was like, hold on, before we go, can I tell you? He's like, I didn't know what to expect when I signed on this morning. I think he might've been the one who was drinking a beer. It was very funny. Um, I was like, 
because I tell them to stay hydrated and keep water near them to, you know, I mean, people with Parkinson's, you know, can get dehydrated really easily. And I look over, I'm like, is that a Diet Dr. Pepper? Because I love Diet Dr. Pepper. And he's like, no, he shows it was a Rainier. (laughs) 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 Which is local to Seattle. And I was just like, oh, welcome to my group. But anyway, and he's like, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but this was so much fun. And I very much enjoyed it. And to me, if someone's having fun, then they're going to do it at home. If someone's having fun, they're going to come back. They're going to come tomorrow. They're going to come next week. They're going to be encouraged to improve themselves. I don't care if that is an EBP. <laughs> it is Julie Day Frank. I think it is. <laughs> I think I think fun is evidence-based. And I think that we can do both. Even if um, an evidence-based practice doesn't seem fun, like you can make it fun and make it engaging for your patient. And like, then everybody's winning. So I see you really taking like a dive into the deep end of patient-centered care. Like you are there for the patient and they're your priority and you're doing what needs to be done for them for them to meet their goals. So girl, have your fun. (laughs) Well, I even, I, sorry, I I feel very, um, I don't mean to bring things up to make me sound like a super cool person. I just am. Okay. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I shouldn't have said that. Um, I spoke. (laughs) I, that's a joke. Okay. It's a joke. Um, I spoke for the American Parkinson Disease Association in July this year in um, for the Northwest Division, which I go to a lot of their events and super cool. Um, I'm trying to really involve myself in the organization because they're, the, well, I mean, this doesn't have anything to do with how great they are, but they're the highest earning uh, sector of the APDA. So they have all the, we, oh my gosh, my event I went to last weekend, it was the deadliest catch captains and they had whiskey tastings and I don't like whiskey, but I bought it because it's charity, right? And (laughs) it was a tortured 30 minutes of me trying to drink four small amounts of whiskey. And I was like, tears in my eye, but eyes, but each bottle, they put the cask on a deadliest catch captain's ship. And then you could, and then you were seeing which ship had the best whiskey. And oh, yeah. And it was all for, um, it was all in the memory of a man. Well, he's still alive. I'm sorry. Um, not memory. It was, ooh, I can't think of it. Too anxious. I don't know. Um, in his honor. Yes. It honored this man. And he's the owner of a big company here that's seafood and he has PSP. And so totally mm. got distracted. Oh, wait. Tell everybody what PSP oh. is, because, you know, we got to be careful of our acronyms. <laughs> oh, man, I'm like, okay, I need it to be right. Progressive supranuclear palsy. It's an atypical Parkinson's. And it's, I mean, I've, I've also worked with people with that as well. It's just a little different. But yeah, so he, it was all in his honor. And we totally, I totally got distracted from the actual point of this story was talking about patient-centered care <laughs> and, um, when I spoke for the APDA, I had a whole slide saying, you need to make a connection with your speech pathologist. Like, do like, you can't just go to someone and expect to get what you need because in therapy, I mean, this could be for any kind of therapy. It's that connection with your 
therapist that helps determine it. And I even said, some people don't even like working with me. And I was like, that's mostly men I date though. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone in the room was like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) I, I think I'm too funny for my own good, but also it's just, I think that's so important. And because I, I talked to some people and they're like, oh yeah, well, I went to this one place and it was just kind of eh. So then they don't try again. And so I I even had a whole, whole slide about that is that patient-centered, go to who you connect with. And it might even not be me, but I highly doubt that. <laughs> I think that's really good. And I know when I've been working with a patient and I feel like I have given them everything I have to offer, everything I know, everything that I've gone back and I've tried to research. I feel like I'm at the extent of my experience and knowledge and resources for meeting their needs, but they're letting me know they want to continue. They still feel like progress can be made. And I'm letting them know, I don't think that that's going to be with me. (laughs) I think we should wrap up here. And I will say, I'm not the only speech and language pathologist. Like there are lots of other ones out there and we all have a little bit of a different perspective and a different approach. And if you work with another one, you might get a different uh, set of exercises or a different uh, perspective on how to meet your needs. And that's totally cool. That's totally fine. Like, cause in outpatient, I've gotten patients who have been at other places, other locations and then come see me for lots of different reasons. And it's not necessarily the clinician. Sometimes it's just distance and travel and it's just more convenient for them to come see me. But uh, yeah, so I agree with you there. (laughs) Well, and one of my favorite stories, and like I said, I don't mean to be like, Julie, blah, 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 but I just get excited. One, One of my men with Parkinson's, I actually sat in my car and cried after this. It was doing home health and I'm walking out of an adult family home and he yells after me, yells, right? And he yells, you instill confidence. And to me, I like just got in my car and was like, oh, you know, and it was, I mean, that's part of what we're here for. They need that confidence to practice. They need that confidence to get better, that they're going to get better. And I'm actually going to make a cute little sign on Canva and put it in my in my room that says, uh, you instill confidence from anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did that section justice, justice. What should we do now is like literally the name of this section, Julie. <laughs> what should we do now? Well, I... I mean, am I talking to the SLPs? Yes. Um, get trained in one of the Parkinson-specific uh, programs. And I'll just be honest here. I didn't get trained for a very long time in one of these because um, a majority of my money went to student loans and traveling. And I'll just be honest with that. But, I mean, there's the two big programs, Speak Out and LSVT Loud. And I love Speak Out. I love the videos. They give everyone a free book um, that they and they can donate to help others get books too. And start by you know doing our evaluation. I don't think we're gonna go too much into all of that, but do the treatment with people. Um, 
excuse me, EMST is like the hot topic nowadays, I think, or at least I think it's a hot topic and I talk about it constantly. <laughs> like I actually bought an EMST 150 and gave it to my brother who has dysarthria um, from a stroke. And I calibrated my mom, my dad and my brother on it. And they're all supposed to share the same one because my dad was a little low and I was a little nervous. And I was like, dad, you need to build up your cough. Yeah. You know, cause they're in their, my mom's birthday's tomorrow. Happy birthday, mom. Um, I'm going to make her watch this or listen to it. Um, she's 68 and, oh, I shouldn't have said that. No. Oh no. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, dang it. Um, but I, I think EMST is so great when, if someone with Parkinson's gets a diagnosis, I wish they could just get a little EMST 150 right there and they could start not doing it that five times a week, but maybe just three, right. Going to the gym. It's that preventative nature. Right. Um, and then another thing I was, um, I emailed, uh, cause I'm certified in MDTP and I emailed Dr. Carnaby about that to ask if there's any research on it with Parkinson's. And apparently they're starting a trial soon on it, but they've also Dr. Crary in another podcast recently said they've been using it with success and someone in the UK is doing it as well. So MDTP is something you can do with people with Parkinson's. Um, and then one of the, oh, sorry, uh, McNeil dysphagia therapy protocol or program, which is go ahead and protocol that program. I, I always Google it and I keep, Oh, I say the wrong thing anyway, <laughs> but yeah. Thank it, you. Right. I'm just like, eh. but it's a, it's a good thing. There's, like I said, they're starting that research. I, I'm an MDTP um, ad, advocate, or maybe I'm, I'm part of that cult anyway. Um, it's the majority of my swallow treatments now. So I'm a big fan of it. Um, but another thing that, and that I think we should be doing with our patients is encourage going to the dentist. Um, I evaluated someone with multiple systems atrophy. There you go. I didn't even say the acronym. <laughs> And it's an atypical form of Parkinson's as well recently. And I was just like, are you going to the dentist? Like, let's talk about that a little bit. And she didn't like to because of um, the saliva issue. And she was worried she was going to choke. So then I'm also wondering, then my brain goes to, huh, are there dentists who specialize in this? And then I'm thinking, oh, I should contact people. They should do it. And then I'm like, Julie, you have 700 things. Do not go into worrying about dentistry, right? Um, but yeah, I'd also say it's never too late. I mean, there is going to come a point, unfortunately, where there might not be anything we can do, but I'd at least give it a try. Um, I saw someone recently who, during our evaluation, their sister just said to me, wow, that is the loudest I've heard since her diagnosis. And yeah, the PT was like, oh, um, this patient is nonverbal. And I was like, I'll see if she's nonverbal, <laughs> right? And she, and she wasn't. The very last day I left, um, and I mean, she, she would go into freezing moments. And so our sessions were very short, <laughs> um, but uh -huh. I was training her family and everything. And at the very last, last session, 
I'm like, oh, it was like, I'll miss you. It was very nice working with you. She goes, I'll definitely miss you too. And I'm like, nonverbal, my butt, <laughs> right? Like you, you never know if you give them a little try, do some stimulability testing, see if they can get some Oz going, see if they'll talk to you, be loud and crazy. Like I do some stupid things to make my patients talk to me. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm sure they're like, this woman, uh, hmm, hmm, she might be an idiot, but she's an idiot who's going to help. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, and then the, la- the last thing I want to talk about what we can do. Well, I mean, not the last thing. I'm sh- I don't know how much time we have left, um, but it's maybe an amplifier at the end. Sometimes it might just be too much to make that effort. I've gotten people like $25 ones on Amazon because I know a lot of seniors are on a um, limited income. So that's something I would recommend maybe at the end. Okay. Um, have you heard of the speech buy? I have, and I haven't used it yet because I've, I heard mixed things, but then some people in the speak out, um, providers group on Facebook mentioned it. And so it's something I definitely would do. I, I think I downloaded the app on my phone to try it out. Cause I think that's something you can do. You need headphones and I don't know where my headphones went, so I can't, I I should, I could buy some, but then I have a weird earring in my ear to help prevent migraines and I don't like using headphones. So it's on my list of things I want to try. Okay, cool. All right. Um, all right. What else do you want to cover? Uh, let's talk about dual task training. Woo. Um, yeah. What does that mean? Doing two things at once. So do we just sit in our chair and talk all the time? Is that what, I mean, right now you and I are sitting here chatting, but no, I talk and walk all the time or I stand and talk. So I'll have people march in place sometimes. I know it's not super real worldy, but you can't start running around, right? Um, I plan on, because I just got a new office and I haven't had anybody in there yet, but I plan on walking around. It's this very large space and maybe even just talking about things that are going on around us. So it's kind of doing two things at once. It puts more cognitive load on the patient. It's like with... um, speak out, they have a cognitive section, right? And that's one of the hardest parts for people until you get to, you know, the free speaking, if that, that's probably not a correct term. Um, but the cognitive part's really hard and their volume goes down because they have to think a little more. But I mean, when we're talking on a daily basis, we're not reading off of something, right? We're walking, we're moving, we're I don't know. We're doing everything. I can't even think of what I want to say, but I, I enjoy that. Maybe not the first day, but trying to put that, um, into your repertoire. I mean, I volunteer for a Parkinson's boxing class. I haven't gone recently because I have to work on that day and it makes me very upset because I love my boxing class. And so we box and do, I introduced vocal exercises. And so they just love me because we're like hitting that weird bag thing. That's the technical term. (laughs) And we're doing glides or we're like 
may me while we're punching and there are other people in the gym and they're just kind of like, huh, huh. <laughs> but I mean, we're having a good time and, or sometimes I'll actually be really mean and they'll be punching the big mama bag. I'm so good at this. And I'll have them name the members of their family or I'll have them name different kinds of food they like. So then we're adding in like the cognitive aspect, the physical aspect and the voice. And that's just when I feel like I'm having a really bad day, I'm going to torture them, you know? (laughs) But yeah, it's adding in that extra aspect to try to make it, it's, it's like the, um, functional therapy, right? We don't just sit and talk constantly. We aren't just sitting there all the time. That's not what our lives are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of dual task training. And um, there's this really nice long hallway next to my outpatient that I like to just walk up and down with patients. Um, it doesn't get much traffic and we'll just walk up and down the hallway and I've used it to practice different kinds of things. And one of them might be even just something like attention. Mm -hmm. Like, can they attend while we're doing these other things to the conversation or to the path? Like, I don't know, but I'm a big fan of getting up and out of the therapy room when it's appropriate. So I'm glad you talked about that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's Well, the, the little, um, the Parkinson's guy who I contacted last year, he's really big on that. I follow his, things on Instagram and they're always doing like three things at once in all of their exercises. And I think that's really great since, I mean, obviously the physical aspect, the brain aspect, whole body, it's, I'm a little more holistic than I might pretend I am because I'm like, I talk a lot about hydration. I encourage my people to bring water. I, um, we, do when we do breath support, it's almost meditative-y. Those are all good words. Um, because <laughs> because I don't know, I'm a little more it's a whole person. It's not just even though we are just doing speech or swallowing, you know, or voice, but that's not the one thing. They're 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 a human being. There's so much going on. Um yeah. Hmm. I just love people with Parkinson's. <laughs> I do. I it just that is awesome. I love it. It is it is really so evident in your passion for treating the whole person and, and all the aspects and your enthusiasm that you bring to it and all the work you've done into equipping yourself to know and to be certified in all these amazing evidence-based practices that are available to us. So thanks for coming on and sharing all those things with us, Julie. We are so welcome. Thanks for accepting my invitation to let me do this. (laughs) Me Do you want me to tell you something? (laughs) I'm like, I love learning things. So the answer is yes. (laughs) I'm just... Is there anything else you wanted to cover? Or are we... Did we cover? Uh, well, the one thing that we didn't cover is just when should we order an MBS? And um, I mean, obviously, if we're going to treat the swallowing, we want to do it. Um, but let's just say they're early on. You could get an MBS at baseline, right? 
or if you're going to treat it, obviously, or I mean, fees. Um, I know some people who treat Parkinson's uh, prefer fees because then it's a longer period of time to check it out. And then you can, plus a big problem with people with Parkinson's is residue. So with fees, you can get that really nice look of all the residue that's going on. Um, but also once someone starts drooling, that's when I would really, cause I think, oh gosh, I can't pick the, I can't give you those stats cause I didn't write them down, but drooling and dysphagia go together. Um, and so that's when I would also recommend it. Or, I mean, if they're just having complaints of stuff going on, do it. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, and then the last thing I want to talk about is something I think is super cool that I want to do one day. Um, they're doing biofeedback mixed with uh, citric acid. And I think that's Dr. Michelle Troche. Troche, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say it. Um, they're having them look at something and I might just be totally wrong with this. And they're using a nebulizer to spray, is it citric acid or capsaicin into their airway? And then, oh, sorry, a crow just showed up, right? Oh, oh that's creepy. Um, someone's gonna die tonight right here. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's so creepy. Um, and they're spraying this citric acid or capsaicin, I don't remember. And then when it touches the vocal cords or that gets into the airway, they, they're training them to cough, trying to improve that sensation with biofeedback. And I just think that's so cool. And I, uh, one day, you know, when I have like millions of dollars somehow to buy everything I want to buy. <laughs> that, yeah, that sounds really interesting. That will be exciting to see how that kind of gets developed and how we can translate that to clinical practice or into therapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cutting edge stuff. Super cool. Love it. Give me some of that, please. And I don't know, money somehow <laughs> to do it all. <laughs> all right, Julie, I think that's everything for us then. Thanks again so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this and I love your stories. Keep, keep acquiring and sharing your stories with everybody. I love sharing stories. So every, anytime I was thinking, I just need to do my own podcast where all I do is tell my stories all day and laugh at myself. <laughs> Story time with Julie. That sounds good. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'd like to thank Julie for the opportunity to experience what it must be like to herd squirrels being chased by a pack of dogs. It was a unique and unforgettable experience. <laughs> I just, I just, it was an absolute blast and a pleasure to interview Julie on her model of treating people with Parkinson's disease. That dental model of therapy frequency will forever be stuck in my head, along with Julie's affection for getting her teeth cleaned, <laughs> cemented in my mind. <laughs> Julie makes learning fun and I had a ton of fun. Also, huge thanks to Julie for the massive amounts of articles that she sent me for the show notes. Please, y'all, go check them out on speechuncensored.com. It took me forever to make all those links. Please, please make all that work worth it. Thank you. The end. Okay, next up, I want to thank my listeners in South Dakota, specifically in Yankton, Vermilion, and Mitchell, South Dakota. 
Interesting fact, Mitchell is the home of the Corn Palace, which I got to check out when I was touring through South Dakota seeing the Great Eight, which everyone, go Google it, the Great Eight, South Dakota. Like once in a lifetime, kind of a trip, you see the most beautiful things. Oh my gosh, you guys, the Black Hills of South Dakota, go. It's incredible, love it. Okay, back to the podcast. <laughs> Get out there and nourish your brain this holiday season with cheer and goodwill. Here's to a new year with wishes for you to flourish. See you next week in 2020.